Missing NewView EDU? Don't worry, we'll be back before you know it with Season 2. In the meantime, we're excited to share this episode from our NAIS sister podcast, Member Voices. Member Voices features stories from the thoughtful, hardworking individuals who make up the independent school community. You'll hear from faculty and staff at NAIS member schools about their roles, challenges, successes, inspiration sources, and more. The following episode features Logan Bolds, head of school at Stratford Academy, who talks about what it was like to be appointed head of school at age 29, how he got to this point in his career so quickly, and how he finds balance with two young kids at home. This episode was released July 1st, 2019, when Logan was a brand new head of school. Member Voices also recently aired a three-episode miniseries taking a closer look at the transition to headship. We encourage you to go back and listen to these and other great episodes by finding Member Voices on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Play. Hello, everyone, and welcome to NAIS Member Voices. I'm Scott Donaldson, and today I'll be speaking with Logan Bolds, the new head of school at Stratford Academy in Macon, Georgia. Logan, welcome to Member Voices. Thank you, Scott. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Well, I'm happy to have you. So this is July 1st when we're doing this this recording, this conversation. Is this your first official day on the job? No, actually. Uh, I was actually appointed on April 25th of this um uh, of this past school year with our, our former head's resignation. I was the uh, head of middle school here for this past year. And when he resigned, the board promoted me into this position. So I actually started late April and have been, been in that office since then. That's exciting. So how was the end of last year? <laughs> to, uh, to say wild and chaotic is probably um, a, a, an understatement. I was still, I still retained the head of middle school status as well as head of school status and oh, wow. head of school of, yeah, it was, it was a, um, it was a lot. We have a little over 800 students and then I've got a, uh, close to 200 in the middle school. So it was a, like I said, it was a full court press there until the end, but um, it was exciting. It, it gave me great energy. It, it's uh, really gave me a chance to, to wind down the school year on a really, like I said, positive, uh, difficult note, but, but nonetheless still positive. And what was nice about being, promoted there that last week of yeah that last week of April was that it allowed me all the entire month of May to begin having conversations with all of my faculty and staff kind of around the transition around the changes that were taking place within the school and was able to get their feedback which has been invaluable to me uh, during the month of June as we kind of shape up our our vision for where Stratford is going in the next few years. And can you talk a little bit more about the transition from your previous role to becoming a head as, as much as you want to share? What did that look like? It was it was every intention, and I made this pretty well known to um, a lot of constituents within the school, that I really viewed this particular position when I took it, the, the head of middle school, rather, the position I, I held before head of school. Mm-hmm. We, we were moving from Florida, and I took it with the idea that this was going to be a stepping stone into another 
school in another town. We're originally from Nashville, Tennessee. All of our family, my wife and our, you know, our family is all there. So the idea is to eventually get back to, to somewhere um, closer to Nashville. And so we took this, I took this job as a stepping stone and it took probably about six weeks to realize that I had found a really, really special place. Mm -hmm. And I had absolutely no intention of leaving. We found a good community out in Macon. We found um, a wonderful, loving family here in the community within the school. And like I said, it became apparent that we, we had no plans on leaving anytime soon. And so um, I also made that clear to several constituents within the school and realizing that I kind of bring this youthful energy. I'm, I'm 29 years old, and that, that seemed to attract a lot of people uh, to me based on what I have seen um, without disclosing too much information. My previous two schools, I could not have had more polar opposite experiences, one being exceptionally well-run, very loving, very caring, but also very academic, and then the other not so at all, uh, which I think has proved to be more vital than the positive experience because it's taught me, like I said, what most importantly of what to do and what not to do. And what I learned being named this during this transition in April was to immediately sit down with all of the faculty and all of the staff and talk to them about their goals, their visions for the school. Stratford is a historic school. We're celebrating our 60th school year. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a large school, right? Was that uh, daunting at all, taking over such a big school? Absolutely. My two uh, my two previous schools were pre-K through eighth grade. And so uh, the first school I was at was a little over 400 and the second school was a little over five. And, and neither one had a had an upper school. And so taking over this position that includes an upper school along with several hundred additional kids was certainly a, um, a, a large leap. Luckily, uh, I've really spent this last year in um, getting to know the kids, get, going to all of the sporting practices and the games and academic quiz bowls and you name it, I was there. So it's helped me get to know um, kids' names and their, their families' names and parents' names outside of just the middle school division. So that, that was a big asset when I took this role. It, it felt like I was already a familiar face to many people on campus. And you mentioned that you're 29 years old, which is pretty young to become a head. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking there may be folks listening that are in the same age bracket that are not heads, but have aspirations to become heads or become leaders at their school. Are there things that you can identify that you did during your professional journey that you think helped you to get to where you are today and to get there so quickly? It's, I, I am certainly a relational leader. I'm someone who I look to cultivate relationships with everybody I meet, and I mean that from the boy who's in kindergarten to the, se- the girl who's a graduating senior, and as well as their families and, and the teachers and the staff. I, I get to know people. I bring in um, coffee for people on their birthdays. You, you know, I, I make sure to go into every single classroom every morning. And really, I guess just to come full circle and, and think of the things I could say to, to somebody who wants to, you know, is aspiring to be in this position this young, is it requires 200% effort. You have to go completely out of your way, and it's, it's very time-consuming, and it's difficult for that work-home balance. But you have to – if community members know when you put forth effort, and they see that you genuinely care – you're not just showing up for five minutes to make sure people see you and you leave. You show up for the full game. You respond to, you know, being relatively young, what I did when I introduced myself um, kind of to the school community officially as the head of school was I included my cell phone number in the email. 
And I had, I had board members, I had teachers coming up saying, you are absolutely crazy. Why in the world would you ever do that? Would you include your personal email or your personal mm-hmm. cell phone number? Mm-hmm. And again, in my mind, I know that blurs the line between that, that home and work balance. And yet, I'm at the age to where if a parent reaches out and shoots a text with a question, it, it, is nothing, it does not bother me to respond. And that is what I hear continually as, as positive feedback from these people is that I'm, that I'm approachable. I put forth that effort. I respond to, to questions and I go out of my way to make sure that every person feels known, every person feels valued, every person feels heard. And I think I'm, I'm certainly, and again, this is, it sounds arrogant to say, but I'm, I'd like to think I'm, I'm wise beyond my years. I understand that there are people in the community who know more than I do. And I'm not this young buck that's going to come in and up in the apple cart and do everything my way. I'm going to do, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do some changes, but it's going to be after listening to all constituents within the school and making sure that I truly value or I truly hear and then heed a lot of the advice that I get. And so my advice to somebody looking to be in this position is just 100 or 200% effort all the time, you know, zero to 100, no stops, and make sure you delve into every area you can to um, gain the experience. And and was this always your approach? Was this always the the plan, you know, even dating back to when you were in, in college or graduate school? Did you have a trajectory mapped out or were there some surprises along the way? Well, certainly some surprises, but I'd always wanted to be a uh, a teacher for uh, per se, so especially an educator. Both of my grandparents were educators and administrators throughout several schools in Nashville, and I spent quite a um, quite a, a good amount of time with them. I'd say growing up, and so uh, they really taught me the value that a good quality education can have on someone, and how you know every everybody becomes something, whether it's a doctor or an attorney or a biochemist, everybody becomes something because a teacher planted a seed at some point. There was that spark that, 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 you know, that ignited somebody's passion for their subject. And it was a really appealing idea to think I could be involved in that. I could be someone's, someone's spark to go into education, uh, somebody's spark to go into, I taught history and science for a couple of years. And so somebody's spark to go into the field of science or to become a historian or an ar- or an archaeologist. That was really interesting to me. And so I've always, I've always wanted to be an educator. It was really until my first job, probably two years in, that uh, we, I was at a particularly brutal faculty meeting, as, as they often can be. And I walked out and I can remember complaining or saying something to a co-teacher like, well, this is, this is, this is pointless. This isn't going to go well. You know, we're not considering the child. We're not putting the child at the, at the center of this idea like we're supposed to. And I can remember her slapping me on the shoulder and saying, well, you know, if you don't like it, you should be an administrator. And I can remember that kind of, that struck me. And I thought, oh, well, that's an excellent point. I can either, you know, go along with it and complain or I can try to change and do something. And so I started slowly getting involved in the school with admissions, technology implementation, some marketing, student discipline, like I said, really trying to get my feet wet in all areas. And that's what launched me into uh, my first role as the associate head of middle school um, at a school in Florida. The surprises along the way, like I said, was just how just how quick all of those steps came about. Um, you know, I really uh, always envisioned myself as a principal or a head of a you know a head of a school, head of a middle school, things like that. But but truly, had you asked me in college or even right out of college, I would have said it was decades away, um, not not six or seven years. <laughs> so, in what ways did you prepare yourself to? 
become a head. And I'd be curious to hear about the period before you were named interim head and then this summer as well. What have you really focused on in order to enable yourself to start strong in this new role? I have read just about every book I can get my hands on in terms of leadership, whether it's from Brene Brown to Jim Collins. Um, I, I've read it all. And so that has really helped me kind of kind of solidify my leadership approach. I've, I've um, always kind of been a democratic leader in terms of building a consensus and then getting people on board with me before, before going on and, and listening to people like that. But reading these books kind of helps me to understand how to actually be that sort of a leader and cast aside the thing, the elements that don't really make up that, those forms of leadership that I've been leaning on too much. As a young head, I have the tendency to maybe listen too much to constituents without realizing that they may not have as much skin in the game as I do. And so it, it's having to understand that there are going to be people who have different views of things. And I have to take those both understandingly and, and listen to, to what they say, but also understand where they're coming from when they say those things, if that makes any sense at all. And what's some of the best advice that, that you've received? To earn trust first and then get your vision together. And, and that's really hard for me because, I've, because I'm an internal hire. And, and for the most part, people know me. Now, my middle school teachers know me, obviously, the most. And they're the ones that are, are luckily, my biggest cheerleaders to the rest of the school, which is, is comforting to me. But I also want to make sure that these people learn trust from me, not from other people about me. And so people are coming up to me, what's your vision for the school? What's your vision for the school? And, and I always, I go back to what Jim Collins says in his book, Good to Great. He says, first who, then what? And so I'm, focus, I'm focusing on the who, who is on my team and, and, and making sure that they buy into who I am, making sure they trust me, that they see where we are going. And then once I know that I have the team I need, then we together, which goes back to that democratic sort of leadership, then we together will outline and strategize where we are going as a school. I know that where I want to go will only be successful if I have people who want to go there with me. I am not in the classroom implementing the curriculum. I'm not on the athletic field implementing our character development lesson plans. I have to be sure that these people that I've hired to do this do the vision or, or complete the vision that we outline. And how have you approached forming relationships with other heads? Has that been uh, easy to do or what's been your approach to that? So far, reaching out to ones that seem to be relatively my age or, or my bracket, knowing that they are in similar positions as, as relatively young heads of schools and reaching out to them saying, you know, you, you, you came into this position, what I would assume is kind of the same bias that people have against me coming into this as young and inexperienced. And so what did you do to combat that? And so whether it's with daily emails or, or weekly phone calls, I have a personal mentor who's up at a school in Atlanta that I speak with two or three times a week, just talking out um, what if scenarios, what if this would happen, what, what, you know, what would you do? And I made sure to identify people who are also in similar positions in, in terms of the, um, the size of their school, you know, whether it's a religiously affiliated school, we're not, we're non-sectarian. And so I wanted to make sure that I reach out to heads of schools who also come from schools that are not faith-based to get their opinion. And so whether it's through emails, weekly, phone calls or texts, and then also, you know, with most of my mentors being up in Atlanta, it's only an hour away. So occasionally we'll meet for, for lunch. 
Um, something else I've actually done, which is a, a bit unusual given that the population of our town is relatively small, and yet we have three very um, large, very competitive independent schools. I've reached out to those other two heads of schools, and we are going to lunch just to talk about our schools, talk about you know the vision where we're where we see our schools going. And even though we're competitors, it's it's good for the community when we have strong schools. And so that's something too. I, I hope to work in you know in friendship with with these other two heads just to make sure because our kids do interact so closely, whether in athletics or social events. And just making sure that we're all on the same page when it comes to, you know, our expectations for our students. You have a young family, two young kids at home, but you're giving 200%, you know, in your new role. Can you talk a little bit about balance and and how you approach that? Absolutely. So what I do is I wake up at 4 a.m. every morning. That's when that's when my day starts. I get in a, a run. I listen to my own podcasts, do a little bit of reading, and I get to I get to school by about six o'clock and then work until about 8, 8.30, go out and do car line, and I, you know, spend the day at the school, but then our office closes at 4.30, and some heads of schools will tell you they can stay until 8, they can stay until 9, and, and, you know, the work's never done, and that's certainly the case for me, but I leave every day at 4.30, you know, shy of a, of an emergency or something that requires me to stay later, I go home at 4.30, and I don't, I don't respond to a text, I don't respond to an email, I don't respond to a phone call until both of my daughters are in bed. And that's sometimes not until 8, 8.30, 9 o'clock. But I have set those boundaries to make sure that the the community knows that those are my protected hours. Now, sometimes I'll go home and I'll grab both of the girls and we'll go to a volleyball game, we'll go to a soccer game, we'll go to a, a tennis match and we'll sit there and we'll watch. And that's my way of spending time with them while also you know, being present at these events and also giving my wife a break, which is always much needed. Um, she's a stay-at-home mom, a former educator herself. It's, it, it is incredibly difficult to balance that. But that, that just means that when I'm here, I am 200% here. I, I'm not, you know, I, I don't try to step away very much throughout the day. We live relatively close by, and as a head of school, you know, we kind of get to set our own schedules, but that doesn't mean I, I abuse that privilege of being able to, to step off campus more frequently. I am when I'm here, I'm here, and when I'm home, I'm home, um, and I make sure to keep that as as distinct as I can. Can you talk about the change from being, for back, lack of a better way to put it, on the same level as some of your colleagues to now uh, overseeing them? Has that been a, a challenge at all? You know, it's certainly a shift when you go from even as middle school head for my own middle school teachers. It was you know the your ultimate authority figure, the ultimate boss, just for lack of a better word, supervisor, is the head of school. And so because I was so young and I've got the middle school teaching team here is relatively young as well, we were certainly friendly with each other and, and were much more than acquaintances, but, but you know, not certainly not best friends. But nonetheless, moving up into this position has certainly um, kind of I don't want to say created a tension. It's a positive tension. It's, it's a, it's, you know, where, where they're still trying to, as well as everyone within the school, trying to gauge it. Does this change result in my personality changing? Like I said, I pride myself on being very approachable, very flexible, very down to earth. You know, I'm, I'm relatively friendly. And so does that change? Am I going to change because of this position? And I, and I've, I've heard that from, from community members. So it has certainly created tension, if there's such thing, I guess, as positive tension. Um, but it's, it's made everybody, you know, we have kind of had to reset a little bit. 
And that's why I was, I was pleased to have had the last few days in April and all of May to kind of set a tone so it didn't leave people wondering throughout the summer of, oh, what's, what's, what is August going to bring? What's he going to be like? And realizing that, you know, several weeks into this job as we wound down the school year was, oh, Logan is still the same. He's still approachable. He's still friendly. He still goes out of his way to, to you know, make sure I feel valued. And so that, that has certainly helped to have that time. So we've talked about your relationship with other heads outside of your school, with the community, and with your colleagues at the school. Uh, how about your board? How have you uh, approached working with them as a new head? We have a um, very open board, like I said, a very community-driven board who have a, a great interest in the school. And so we are meeting throughout the summer, kind of outlining our vision for the school, talking about, you know, I want to sit down with them. This isn't something that they're necessarily bringing to me, but I'm reaching out to them as parents, as community members. A lot of them are alums themselves, wanting to hear what they say about the school. And they understand that final authority does rest with me, but they want to make sure, as I do as well, that I, I get the full picture of the school and really understand it. And so... What that means is that either once a week, probably more like once every two or three weeks, I will go to lunch with a different board member to make sure that that relationship stays strong, as well as weekly check-ins with um, both my current board chair and my incoming board chair. Again, not for them to necessarily know the day-to-day -day operations, but just letting them know of any any small fires that might be starting or, you know, I, I just somebody I am is I just can't stand for people to hear who have attachments to the school to hear about a problem or an issue for the first time out in the community rather than from me, you know, myself. And so that is one of the heads of schools that I spoke to said the most important relationship you'll have is with your board chair. And so that's one that luckily I, I have a really good positive one and was able to formulate one throughout this past year prior to me being appointed head of school. And so, and it has continued to be positive as well. Very communicate regularly and work really well together. And what about approaching areas as a new head that, that may be new or you may not be as, as familiar or feel as strong in those areas? I know through some of the research that we've done at NEIS, we know that some heads who where former teachers may not feel as strong in the finance area, for example. Is, is, is that something that you've struggled with at all? And if so, how have you approached that? Absolutely. Well said. If I could, if you had asked me right off the bat, what would, where was I most uncomfortable in this job? It would be finance, which is such a large piece, as I've come to know, of being head of school. And I think what is, what is vital is making sure that, one, you have to understand that no one head can do it all. You know, I'm, I come from a, yes, a teaching background, but also a curriculum development background. So I'm really good at vertical alignment and, and looking at curriculum and stuff, kind of some things that, that our, our school currently really has a need for. And so that's the, those are the gifts I bring to the table. But I, what I try to make sure is that we have you know a really strong person doing the, the finance. And luckily for us, we have an incredible CFO who is, who is very dynamic, very transparent, and so it's not, and, I, and I'm not inheriting a school that's in any sort of financial um, difficulty. So we're, uh, you know, I've got somebody who, who is very competent running that and, and making sure that I, I go to and, and we are involved in conversations together. And I go to her to make sure that we, you know, are, are looking at the same thing, approaching things, you know, in the same way, but also realizing that, again, while final authority lays with me, I would be foolish not to seek her counsel and advice when it comes to financial decisions, especially somebody like her who's been affiliated with the school for so long and has you know, a lot of community support. I think it is vital 
to have. I think I think one of the heads of schools told me that too. That the most important relationship you have in your school is with your board chair, and your second most is with your CFO. And I've I found those both to be very true. Can you talk about your your learning style and how that informs your approach? So I am kind of a I don't want to say like thrown you know throw yourself to the wolves and then you just kind of have to learn as you go. But that that is certainly the way I've always. I've always proceeded because I was hired right out of right out of college to teach while while starting my master's program. I had absolutely no student teaching experience. I had never you know set foot in a classroom prior to you know attend, being a student myself. And I was hired by a um, by a former principal of my own to come back and teach in, in, in one of the schools I actually attended. Um, and so that was really interesting. But it allowed me to, like I said, I had to learn as I went along. And that made for a, a bumpy first year. But like I said, when I talked about the school that I came from prior to Stratford, learning mm-hmm. kind of what not to do, that was, I think, proved most vital to me was that I was able to understand what not to do and then what, what I should do, and what I should capitalize on. And so I'm definitely a sit down with me, show me what I can do, and then let me go from there. And I'm going to mess up and I'm going to have you know difficulties and, and, and have an accident here and there, and I need to know that I've got an administrative team around me that isn't afraid of saying, "Hey, this is we're we're who we're going down a, a bad path. Let's let's turn this around." And then realizing and being humble enough to realize that I don't have all the answers. And so my learning style has always been just go with the flow, learn as you go, and um, make sure to don't don't dig in when you have an idea that you you really think is. You know, the only idea, make sure that you listen to others around you and then you can proceed. That's what I say all the time. I'll listen to everybody. I'm not afraid of pulling the trigger and being the one to, to make the hard decision and the hard call, but it will not come until after I make sure that all constituents know where one, my decision is, but after hearing what they have to say as well. And, and that really has proved very important for me these last few years. So you've you know, reached your goal, I guess, in, in a way you could say re- you've become a head of school. So you've, you've achieved that, which is what you were aspiring to become. What, what happens now? How would you like to grow, you know, in the future five, 10 years down the line? Certainly, Scott. That, and that is a great question. <laughs> My wife and I were just having that conversation. You know, you, you hear about um, people who peak early. And so I hope that's certainly not the case for me. <laughs> but that's a, I like the way that you said that too. Is is where is where I plan on going. I, I both plan on making sure that you know Stratford continues to be the wonderful school that I've inherited, while also embracing um, these traditions that have made the school, while also embracing the time for some transformations, which is um, which is much needed. And so, both knowing that you know if if I can establish myself as someone who can institute supported change within a community. I think that will that will help me to, to write my ticket um, in the future. But it's certainly, I've enrolled in classes to, to do some PhD classes at um, Harvard Business School in school management and leadership that will set be set in October. I've always had a, a just more of a um, personal and I guess also professional goal of getting my PhD. And so um, once I once I get that, hopefully it will um, pave way to maybe some some future plans in and of itself. But but for now, I'm certainly content getting to this point so so early. Maybe the answer here is obvious, or maybe it's not. But what is your proudest moment professionally? I would say my proudest moment would be 
Yeah, I suppose it would be the obvious one. It would be being mm-hmm. asked to assume this position. Sure. One, relatively, you know, so, so young and also being so new to the community. I can remember after our, our former head resigned and re- really having, having no knowledge that this was in the pipeline at being asked you know, would you want to assume the interim position with the plans of moving you into the full-time position? I can just remember that, that enormous sense of pride that you can feel after accepting kind of hanging up the phone after talking to the, to the board chair and just kind of letting that sink in the, the, the gravity of that. And so that was incredibly humbling, but an incredibly um, pride filled moment for sure. Well, uh, Logan, congrats again on the new position and it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to NEIS Member Voices. You can visit neis.org slash member voices to explore resources related to our conversation, including tools to help you start strong in a new role or just start the school year strong. You can also keep an eye on that page for new podcast episodes or subscribe to automatically receive a new podcast episode each month. Please be sure to listen, rate, and review each new episode and go back and listen to past episodes you might have missed. Also, we always want to hear from you, so please share stories, questions, comments, or people that you think should be featured on the podcast to us by sending them to membership at neis.org.